0: I'm Karl McComan. I am Kevin Johnson.
1: I'm Cassidy Hall, and we are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by listeners like you. Please visit www.patreon.com slash Encountering Silence That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be a part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all-too-noisy world.
0: Sometimes, to encounter silence, we must travel outside the recording studio to hear its rhythms and participate with it. When we do, we bring our basic recording devices to keep a record of that engagement, resulting in field recordings. These recordings all may vary in participants and content, surprising us in the variety of ways that silence speaks. This week, Cassidy Hall went to the quiet hills of Kentucky to visit the Cistercian Monastery of Gethsemane to talk with Brother Paul Quinnen, writer and poet.
1: Brother Paul Quinnen is a monk of the Abbey of Gethsemane for over 50 years. He's a poet, photographer, and lover of nature. His books include The Art of Pausing, Unquiet Vigil, Monk's Wear, Afternoons with Emily, Bells of the Hours, Laughter, My Purgatory, and most recently, in Praise of the Useless Life, a monk's memoir. Praised by Kathleen Norris as, a book that strikes me as valuable in a culture so terribly marred by narcissism. Brother Paul is known to many by way of their saunters with him to Thomas Merton's former hermitage, and the stories he shares from his time with Merton as his spiritual director and mentor. His latest book explores these things and much more including a glimpse into the monastic life, which he describes as essentially a eva- vacating and emptying out. Brother Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad you're here. So we'd like to start... Our, our first question is always um, if you have, like, an early memory of an encounter with silence or when maybe you realized silence was something important to you or for you. Oh. Even back well. in childhood or...
0: Yeah. Uh, I th- lived uh, in in College Park, which was a, a, a holler down below the college. <laughs> and uh, 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 up just a little ways from us was the uh, football field. And then beyond that was a woods. So I used to like to go up and go into the woods by myself. Mm. I was weird. <laughs> It's not weird. <laughs> no, it's not, but it's a good, uh, and you know, we had a big family, so there was plenty of noise in the house. I can't say that uh, there was any uh, any particular experience I had as a child, uh, except that, you know, I, I liked, uh, I, I didn't like noisy sports, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I liked family games. you know. But otherwise, there's nothing that strikes me as being particularly meaningful in my childhood.
1: Mm -hmm. And you came to the monastery when you were 17? Is that right?
0: Yeah, I came 17. And uh, we did have retreats at the Catholic school. And uh, one of the best experiences I had at that school, among the very few, was that uh, we had a school retreat and uh, everybody had to keep silence so there we were going up and down the stairs in silence and i thought that was wonderful it was one of my favorite weeks in the <laughs> in school yeah. so i would say that maybe that was a, a significant uh, taste of uh, a silence in in community
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you came here uh, before Vatican II. Oh, yes. So the silence was a little more strict. And I know there's a, there's a quote from your book about that. You talked about the strictness of silence and how it impacted your senses. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you, do you still feel like that happens for you here? Either? Oh, yes. Well, okay. it, uh, it's,
0: it's a matter of habit now. Yeah. Uh, I can you know readily access you know, other parts of my soul, Uh, being in silence because, uh, you know, I've developed that. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what initially led you here at 17? Wasn't it, uh, you read Seven Story Mountain? I read
0: Seven Story Mountain, but I I was already interested in monasticism thanks to uh, reading The Imitation of Christ, Mm. which was really written for novices. Mm. The book is written as a dialogue between Christ and the soul. Mm. So reading the book kind of gets you into a pattern of conversation. And that, I discovered, was really, uh, uh, I mean, it wasn't just reading something, but there was really a personal communion going on in that process. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it's very strong on You know, rejecting the ways of the world and and the disappointments and delusions of the world, and uh, I was ripe for that (laughs) at that time. So, uh, and then I thought, well, I guess I'll have to go to Europe and enter a monastery. I didn't know there were any monasteries in the the United States, but I had learned some French in school, and I thought, well, I could go to France and. (laughs) join a French monastery. Maybe that's what I should have done. But uh, then I read Seven Story Mountain. Oh, there's a a monastery in the United States. So I can go there. And then I went to the parish priest and I said, well, uh, what would be a monastery I could go to? He opened the Catholic Directory and pointed to the Abbey of Gethsemane. Not as if there weren't other monasteries on that list. but. For some reason, he just pointed to that one. So I said, well, I guess that's the only one, so I came here.
1: I love the story you tell in your most recent book about not realizing Father Lewis was Thomas Merton. Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> well, he seemed like a, um, he was the novice master as far as I was concerned. And mm-hmm. he was kind of a, um, you know, had a, had a spark about him. and. He, he, you know, he spoke imaginatively when he did, so uh, as a result I had established a re- relationship with him as my novice master rather than as a famous writer who, whose book I had read.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that, that I, I didn't have to clear all that stuff away, it, it didn't get in my way, and then after a month, I had established a relationship to him as, a, you know, a novice master. Yeah. So the rest of the, it didn't um, it didn't interfere with the relationship.
2: Yeah.
0: And he, you know, he wasn't inclined to talk about his writing much. A lot of it going on. You you could see it. Um. But uh, no, that, that he just stuck to business as, <laughs> as the novice master.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was reading something about how much he would laugh and tell jokes that he liked. Yeah. He really.
0: Well, you can see that in the uh, tapes, you know, his, mm. his conferences.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Very quick, quick uh, witted.
1: <laughs> so, also in this last book, you talk a lot about your love of nature and being mm. outside and even sleeping outside. Yeah. And I especially loved. The story about the bird you befriended?
0: (laughs) Yeah, the mockingbird. Yeah. Well, it was more of an enemy than a friend. (laughs) Battle of wits with a mockingbird.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it was a really nice story, just the way you handled that. And and you also tell a story about uh, when you initially came here, someone had said something to you about, you know, you're not going to get enlightenment from sitting under a tree, but
0: Oh <laughs> that's precisely
1: what you've been doing to some degree.
0: Oh well, yes, I did it yesterday afternoon, oh, too. <laughs> <laughs> um. In that hot weather, you know, the thing is that uh, the ground is cooler, mm. so you sit right on the ground, you've got that coolness, and then you have an ice drink to go with it yeah. and a breeze, and uh, the, the clouds were very uh, dramatic yesterday afternoon. Mm. I don't know, it just' made, it's a great context. To, to spend an hour
1: so even on this the hottest day of the year do you sleep outside
0: oh yeah well it, it's uh, actually it's cooler sleeping outside than inside yeah you know this uh monastery is built out of brick and it's like an oven it, it retains the heat mm. overnight whereas if you're outside it, it'll cool down mm-hmm. and you might have to add a, a, a second sheet or something like at this at this time of the year yeah. one sheet's enough and Uh, A second sheet might take you through the whole night, Um, and then of course you add blankets just according to what you need.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. You said you had you have a big family. How many?
0: Well, there were uh, four boys and two girls. Okay. And uh, and I had a twin sister. Okay.
1: Yeah. Do you get to see them very much? Oh well,
0: they they come here. Mm -hmm. You know that's. That's our rule, you know, mm-hmm. we don't go home to visit, right. but the the families can come here and visit, mm-hmm. and it's a three day visit, okay usually well, two nights is what it ends up to be, yeah,
1: yeah, um, and Pico Ayer wrote the intro to your yeah partner, or, or the forward or the intro uh-huh. um, is he comes here from time to time well he,
0: he he's only been here twice, okay, he's never come on retreat, he goes to uh New Clairvaux in California a lot. Okay. That's kind of like his favorite spot in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came here the first time with Diane April, who uh, taught at uh, Spalding University. She she did a book on Gethsemane called Gethsemane, A Place of Peace and Paradox. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a coffee Mm -hmm. table book with lots of photographs in it. I like that
1: title.
0: Yeah. So uh, he was invited to the Festival of Faiths, In Louisville and uh, he wanted as she brought him to Gethsemane and I got to take him up to the Hermitage and then he came he was re-invited to the Festival of Faiths eight years later and so he wanted Uh to come come visit again yeah and uh, I took him up and we we had a I invited a group of writers and poets and we had a lovely evening Mm -hmm. and um, then after that uh, my editor suggested I invite him to do the forward, and he said he was thrilled. (laughs) I was so so surprised. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's great, that's great. There's a line in his forward I just love. Uh, He says, We're joined at the root, even if our paths fly off in a hundred directions. Mm I love that. Yeah. It's beautiful. One of the things you say in the book is you describe prayer as breathing that purifies the air, like Mm -hmm. leaves on a tree. Mm-hmm. There's such a beautiful stillness in that statement. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about just silence in prayer and just that, that stillness, that centeredness that, that does purify the air. Whether it's
0: Well, there's a, a kind of silence which comes from st- stilling the mind. Mm-hmm. And you can develop that capacity, you know, how how to not fight thoughts so much as set them aside uh, it, it works in different ways uh, you can uh, yeah, if you want to to you know be free free your mind sometimes you have to use a little bit of a discipline in order to get to that point and it sometimes it might be a matter of instead of fighting the thoughts you just kind of stand above them like on a bridge and watch the watch the the water flow by but you're not involved you don't get involved you don't you're you're not attached to them Mm -hmm. Uh, and sometimes there's no water under the bridge there's no problem Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you just uh, instead of fighting them off you're just you know you just stay still you know by intending to stay still but then there's a kind of silence that descends upon you, and it's like the presence. Uh, it happens on its own, and that's that's really special. Mm-hmm. And you may not, you may get that, or you may not get it. Uh, and sometimes it's you know you're not all that aware aware of it when it happens necessarily, but it's it's not a, a matter of looking for it
2: hmm.
0: because if you're looking for it then you're thinking of something yeah you you've you're have an expectation and you're dealing with your expectation
1: yeah and also kind of like if you experience it and you name it
0: you lose it precisely yeah <laughs> then then you stop being in it mm-hmm. or just being it mm-hmm. in, a, in a way it's kind of like drifting off to sleep mm. i you don't know the moment you're drifted off to sleep. Yeah. Uh, if you do, you're not asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I think that you know the the arrival of the spirit happens very much the same way. Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't, you know, you you walk away without thinking, without thinking that anything happened. But that's okay. You don't judge. Maybe more was happening than you. Were sensible of, of. Mm. and maybe it's better that way, that you're you're feeling that, well, this was just a useless t- time, mm. but uh, that's kind of the point—to be useless for God.
2: <laughs> for I love while. that. If you love
0: somebody, you know, you're mm. willing just to you know sit sit with a while and and uh, chat or not chat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and
1: the intimacy and not chatting
0: sometimes is mm-hmm. so... Profound. Yeah, one of my better friends now, uh, we, we'll have a nice conversation. And then all those kind of things, the conversation just lo- goes into a lull. And we both feel perfectly comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, maybe he's learned that from me. Uh, mm. uh, he's never said, but it's uh, it's like he knows that's special.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been here for how many years?
0: Well, as of the week after next, it'll be 60 years.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I
0: arrived here and I think it's around the 23rd or something in July. Okay. 1958.
1: Okay. Hmm. Um, and after, you know, that many years of, of ritual and, and prayer, um, how many times a day?
0: Seven times a day in choir, and then, mm-hmm. of course, mass, mm-hmm. making number eight.
1: Do you still encounter those distractions and those oh, yeah. things that come up?
0: Yeah. yeah. But, you know, uh, like, like today, thinking, well, is Cassidy Hall here? And, uh, <laughs> what, <laughs> and what, will I recognize her? And, <laughs> and then, oh, I get to the end of the office and say, oh, gee, I haven't been following the words of, of the Psalms. <laughs> So then I have to, you know, finish up by paying more attention, short as the time remaining might be. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, you just take that for granted. I mean, some days you're paying attention and some days you're not. You you don't want to beat yourself over the head about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's something just so important about that, like you were saying earlier, that gentleness with oneself... Mm-hmm. to see those things and then let them pass. It yeah. Reminds me a lot of the some of the centering prayer techniques that Father oh, Keating yeah. discussed. Oh, yeah, right. I love what you said. There, you did this interview in 2011. I'm trying to remember who it was with, but um, you were talking about the concept of, of arriving, um, and you said, we never get there. Um, you, you were discussing when people ask you how long you've been here or, Mm -hmm. you know, when you entered the monastic community. And you said, we never get there. As Merton said, you know, if you think you've arrived, you're lost. People in the world come here and retreat. They ask me, how long have you been here? I answer as, what, another elsewhere 52 years. But it is a fiction. How long have I been here? Excuse me, I haven't gotten here yet. And I just love that in this Yeah, just... that's that's just
0: the beginning of that mm-hmm. it's a it's a longer poem than that.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. It's, yeah. Where's that found?
0: It's in um I think it's in Bells of the Hours. Okay. Okay Yeah. Peop people ask me how long you've been here. I say sixty years, but it is a fiction. I used to live by months and years. Now, if I can just bump through a day, I'll leave time to the bells and bear the moment for all it's worth. Meanwhile, a truckload of time has just come roaring in to empty sort and stack. How long have I been here? Excuse me, I haven't gotten here yet.
1: Mm. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I love that. It actually reminds me a little bit of um there's this great portion in um the essay Day of a Stranger by Murray. Oh yes. Um and he ends this fantastic string of thoughts with it is not interesting. <laughs> 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 and you just kind of feel shocked. But um just again going back to and the word you brought up earlier, um the title of a book you mentioned, the, the paradox and kind of living in that that space where things make sense seems to so often be the space of paradox and the space of Mm -hmm. just mind-boggling things that seem to not make sense together.
0: Well, my next book is called Amounting to Nothing. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And the first first part of it is called Getting Nowhere. Mm. And then the second part is called busy with non-doing.
1: Oh, wonderful. <laughs> oh, wonderful. In Unquiet Vigil, you talk a lot about writing as a way of keeping vigil hmm. uh, and I love this idea of this staying awake to life through writing um, and how has that practice impacted your life and how has that been something important for you?
0: Well, um, yeah, it sort of gives me a sense of, uh, of creativity. Um, it's it's some, something that Eric Erickson calls generativity, mm. and of course, uh, people find different ways of. Uh, it, it's this. It's a final stage of maturity. So in the process of being able to, you know, I like using my mind that way. It just comes, and uh, I've developed a habit of, you know, uh, harnessing these uh, um, thought thoughts that come to me, and, and they've been coming to me, you know, for decades now. But I didn't always harness them into mm. words. Mm-hmm. But um, in, the, in the process of writing, you um, uh, can make what are rather, rather private thoughts something you can share with other people. Uh, of course, there's a discipline in doing the revision and the revision and the revision, all in the interest of being true to the original intuition. Mm. make the thought more of what it really is. Mm. And so that's that's where writing and it's just, it's nice to have something to work on for a while and you know yeah. um stop worrying about other things. Yeah. And uh, so I would say it's given me a certain kind of a freedom. Uh, you know, it's a pl- place I can go and uh, spend some time on something rather than, other than just the usual routine. Um, I don't always get as much time as I, I would like to. And sometimes I have more time than I can make good use of. And there's nothing creative going on. So, mm. you know, it's you have to stay detached from it. Mm. Um, I'm not compulsive as a writer. I'm not trying to make a living with it. Uh, some people have to write, like Merton. But uh, I, I can live without it. But it's better to live with it.
1: Mm. Mm. And you said Merton had encouraged you to write. Um, Is that
0: right? I don't know. I think uh, one of my teachers at uh, St. Peter's High School said Mm. I should. She said you have a style. Mm. And uh, I don't know if he would never. I mean, I I I read him a poem that you had written uh, early on. Well, he liked it. He put it up on the bulletin board, so that's about as much an encouragement as (laughs) you would ever expect. But he never pressed... Well, in fact, he he told me I should keep a journal, but he said that to all the novices. Mm -hmm. He said, otherwise you'd lose a moment, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. a good moment. And and I I was a disobedient novice. I didn't keep a journal. So... uh, (laughs) And then, I, there, I, at a certain point in my life, did I started keeping a journal, and then I found out you have to spend so much time writing your journal that uh, <laughs> I didn't want to do it anymore.
1: It was too much work. Yeah. <laughs> um, when it comes to, to Thomas Merton's Hermitage, you say, you talk about the cinder block shelter, nothing much to look at in itself, functions as a lens that focuses visitors soon. And what they truly are. In such a place, we find our true self, and obviously, that that true self concept was heavily woven in in so much of, of Merton's writings. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's impacted your life, and
0: oh, well, sure, yeah. and
1: how that's uh, influenced true. you.
0: Well, yeah, um, it's, I, it's it's not like an outside impact coming in so much <laughs> as. Uh, something that comes naturally Mm -hmm. uh, in the context of silence and uh, living the monastic life. You just kind of, you get free of a lot of preoccupations and then you just kind of move into that. Uh, And you're at rest and you know, well, this this is really what I want to be. This is what I really am. Uh, You don't just toot a horn about it. You you may not even think in terms of true self, false self, mm-hmm. and I uh, I don't think in those terms that myself that much. Okay. Uh, probably because of Merton, I think of that uh, in those terms more than I usually would. Um, and I'm not sure I would have any terms if it wasn't for Merton. Mm-hmm. Uh, ego is kind of like a common common place now people talk about the ego and that's something to think about but I think you know it's uh, something that you uh, naturally feel true to mm-hmm. or, you, or you want to, you naturally want to feel true to it's not something that impacts from the outside yeah. it's something that you you reckon, acknowledge and uh, you know Stay uh, in, in 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 continuity with, mm. uh, and uh, the uh, the the only way to live a life like this is by doing that. Mm. Otherwise, you're you're going to be very dissatisfied, and you're going to be wanting something else. Uh, it, it just fits the context, so that that's how it all. Seems to me, I mean, uh, uh, one of the uh, senior priests accused Father Lewis of being psychological. It's not spirituality, it's psychology. (coughs) All this business about the true self, false self. Well, you know, I I, I don't think that's valid, particularly. You can get preoccupied with your own psychology. And um, it's good to know yourself. I mean, that's one of the... uh, capital uh, precepts of the Desert Fathers and uh, and s- s- monks and philosophers, going back to Socrates, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, know yourself. Mm-hmm. But knowing yourself can mean different things in different contexts. Sometimes in, my, in periods in my life where it, I've had to f- focus on that more than others, mm-hmm. and then you cover so much ground, and then you kind of... Uh, go into a plateau, and then you might have to, uh, you know, sort of uh, do some revision and do some updating and do some growing. So all these things are are just the natural pattern of life, uh, I think.
1: Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath with us and join us for this 30 seconds of silence. So, when did you, I mean, after coming here at 17, when did you know that this was your vocational calling, um, or or was there ever a point where you said, okay, this is it, and, um,
0: and? I can't say I ever knew. Yeah. Uh, I still don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I i learned to live without knowing yeah. for sure it, it was a kind of an intuition of faith mm-hmm. that uh, kept me going forward despite some you know counter signs and things that were you know uh could have defeated maybe somebody else but i i thought well god wants wants me here and uh, uh i um Remember, at one, you know, I I had a lot of trouble because uh, it seems to me uh, like I should be more certain about it mm-hmm. than I was.
2: Mm.
0: And uh, when it came down to making final vows, um, I t- I talked about this with Father John Yudes. He was my director at the time, John Yudes, Bamberger, and then uh, and he says well, what do you want? I said, I want to stay here. Yeah. So, so in, in the end, I, I was very worried about what does God want. Mm. And then, well, what do you want?
2: Yeah.
0: And uh, that was okay. That was sufficient. Uh, I guess you could say that God wouldn't have perpetuated me with that want unless that was what God chose. Mm. That's just a way of thinking about it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah.
1: Well, and you also talk about um, doubt um, in your latest book, and you say doubt is a part of faith, mm. not something to be excluded. Without mm. doubt, there may be no real engagement at all. Mm. It's just a placid piety that masks as faith, but is simply an evasion. Doubt is sometimes the fruit of love, a love that seems thwarted. And I just love that. I mean, a love just, that seems to what? Thwart, thwarted.
0: Oh, thwarted. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did I write that? You wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful.
1: Um, and I always just... I always try to encourage people. Just You know, doubt is the backside of faith. And mm-hmm. where there's doubt, there's great faith to me. When, <laughs> when there's great doubt, I always think...
0: Well, I, I think the opposite of faith is indifference. Mm. You know, you're just kind of was, you know, what's that for me? Yeah. And um, you might call it apathy towards the issues that faith struggles with. Um, If it really matters, you're going to struggle, and then you're going to just have to come to terms with, you know, why it doesn't seem to be right, where, where it seems to be wrong and where does it seem to be delusional mm-hmm. and not. And you're, you always have to keep purifying your faith. That's part of it, you know, uh, coming to purity of heart. You're really uh, coming to purity of faith. That is, uh, what, what are the real reasons I believe? Why is it I believe? Uh, is it for the right reasons? Mm-hmm. Or is it just kind of a strategy for security in a monastery? or is it just a way of keeping from conflicting with the uh, the church or the people I'm living with mm-hmm. uh, I think you have to be willing somewhere along the line to to engage those conflicts and come to some resolution uh, on your own mm-hmm. well that's why it's important to study and you know to to get an, ed, uh, an intelligent uh, understanding of the church and theology and all the mysteries of the faith—it's, um, you know, if it's vital, it's a way of struggling with faith.
1: Mm, yeah. Reminded me of um, Kathleen Norris's book *Acedia* and me.
0: Oh yes. Yeah, I love that book. Yeah, you know, I—I call, called her one day and she says, "Well, I'm having a, a, a hard time writing this book. I'm mm-hmm. getting very discouraged." And I said, "You're you're." Having a CD about the book on a CD. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wept through, through that book. I listened to it on audio, mm-hmm. and she's a fantastic voice. And I was actually here. I remember I was walking in the woods and listening to a portion about. I think it was uh, that portion was about her marriage and um, some challenges. And oh yeah, I just remember just weeping in the woods here. And it was just I mean, it was oh. a beautiful moment. But, yeah. Um, what a powerful book, and just. A lot of times, you know, it's, it's been hard for me to recognize when something is acedia and when something mm. is depression or, oh yeah. you know, mental health. So.
0: Well, I don't know if there's a difference. Mm. Mm. Could be a lot of acedia is just depression. I find that um, depression, a lot of times when I'm feeling bad yeah. or having negative thoughts, it's because I'm not breathing i'm f- I'm having negative thoughts because i'm not feeling well, and I'm not feeling well because I'm not breathing, mm. especially in weather like this, you know when it's really hot you know, some people some people stop breathing you yeah. know they just have a hard time breathing yeah um so breathe and then a lot of bad thoughts just float away when you breathe and you mean that
1: quite literally quite like literally breathe yeah. In, uh-huh. breathe out,
0: like, and, and, yeah in other words it it uh, cl- it clarifies the brain the, the brain is clogged up uh, that's what those thoughts are really and you you can unclog your brain by giving it oxygen mm-hmm. and you realize that these you don't have to have these thoughts you know they're not going to lead you anywhere And it's it's not what your life is about. Mm -hmm. And then you can focus on the present moment, something that is positive and constructive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, stay with that and let the rest take care of itself Mm -hmm. in its own good time. Mm -hmm.
1: It's it's no secret that you uh, love poetry. You not Mm -hmm. only write it, but you also love to read it. Yeah. Um, And you love...
0: Emily. Yeah, Emily Dickinson. Yes, yes.
1: So, how did that begin? When did you come across her? Okay. Oh,
0: well, you know, in high school, okay, and uh, you know, the the nuns would, you know, when they talk about American literature, the first person they would mention was Emily Dickinson. Okay. And I thought, well, you know, it's because they're nuns and she's a woman, uh, <laughs> and, and and I always thought, well, you know, that's, but. It's really true. She's at the top of the list. She where she ought to be. Mm-hmm. And uh I've heard more than one, you know, writer like Pico Iyer and uh, uh other poets say yeah, you know, she's the best mm-hmm. in, in in American literature. Uh I, sp- I don't think you would restrict that to 19th century or to you know, or up to to t- today, mm-hmm. but um but I I couldn't understand her uh, really, until uh, I really, you know, I, I would get frustrated, what, what are these words saying? And uh, and then uh, Bishop Marno from Green Bay, uh, Wisconsin gave us a retreat. He would always quote either Jessica Powers or Emily Dickinson, and it fit right in with what his theme was. And I said, why, darn it, I'm going to really put my mind to it this time. And then it started coming. And I real, you know, I, so I stay with her now, and visit have with her every day. Um, maybe two or three poems. Uh, a letter is a joy of earth deprived of the gods. Mm. <laughs> I just came came across that the other day.
1: Yeah, you also mentioned that you regularly memorize poetry, yeah. her poetry. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite you'd like to? Sure.
0: Oh, well, you, yes, in fact, it's the one that really convinced me that she might very well be a, a mystic. Hmm. Um, of course, there's no proof, but uh, here's how it goes. He fumbles at your soul like players at the keys. Before they put full music on, he stuns you by degrees. Repairs your brittle nature for that ethereal blow with fainter hammers further heard than so slow. Your blood has time to straighten, your brain to bubble cool. One imperial thunderbolt That scalps your naked soul When winds take force In their paws The universe is still And I read that And I said Whoa (laughs) I've got to get to know this gal (laughs) Yeah Wow Yeah Wow so then I started researching with the kind of the thought, well, you know, she's a spiritual person, obviously. Mm-hmm. Was she a mystic? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and there are passages where the scenes, uh, you know, a mystic in the sense of direct experience with God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that poem could be, you know, a range of whole things, and it's it's a good poem because it could just be an aesthetic experience. She might be describing some way a person played the piano and it has that kind of an effect or it could have been about a thunderstorm coming on and uh, she was just kind of drawing a metaphor out Mm -hmm. of that or it could have been what she experienced you know Mm -hmm. uh, directly you know your your naked soul Mm -hmm. scalps your naked soul and uh, some people say oh she was hostile towards God well no that's that's bible language that's the book of job you know that's the psalms she's she's immersed in in that that kind of you know scriptural language mm-hmm. and uh you know a like, lot like academics will claim you know she didn't have any faith and she didn't believe in eternity and I say well, do you read the stuff you know <laughs> i mean about every every page or two you know you'll find something about import about eternity yeah and all that and uh, it's but at every moment everybody wants to claim her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, and so they they find ways of doing it and
1: uh, <laughs> and that's a part of your practice you read her every day yeah okay
0: yeah, yeah. after after i finished uh, scripture uh-huh. and then i uh turn to emily dickinson read maybe 3 or 4 poems no first i i do read scripture and then i i put something into my chronicle about what happened yesterday, and who I talked to, and uh, anything interesting. Then I read what I did this day last year, and then I read Emily Dickinson, and then I go on to a book, a spiritual book of some mm-hmm. sort.
1: It's mm-hmm. wonderful. Who are some of your other favorite authors or poets?
0: Well, for a while I was really deep into Ryoka. And uh, I translated 11 of his poems, and that's in uh, oh. Afternoons with Emily.
2: Okay.
0: And then, and I was memorizing a lot of his poetry, too. I've kind of gotten off of that now. And uh, I've sort of, for uh, this year, well, this time, last year, I got into Garrick Avigny, who was a Cistercian uh, abbot at 12th Century. Okay. And uh, read everything that we had, and then... Uh, this um, January, I think I started in on Gregory of Nazianzus, who was, uh, you know, he, he was uh, presided at the uh, uh, Council of Constantinople 381, mm. and uh, he was the greatest rhetorician of his age, and um, also wrote a lot of poetry. He wrote more poetry than anything else. And I really haven't. I thought I would get into his poetry, and I, I, I probably will rather soon. Um, but um, so that's just, I've gotten back to the Greek fathers. I did a lot of work in Gregory of Nyssa when I was a, a junior back in the 60s. <laughs> now I'm coming full cycle back to the Greek fathers. It's
1: mm. hmm. wonderful um One question we always ask is, do you have a silence hero
0: A silence hero
1: a silence hero
0: well um you know the thing that I'm, i fascinates me are the the writers of 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 solitude mm-hmm. and, and that 's why Emily Dickinson and Rook are two you know chief uh examples of people who wrote about solitude not mm-hmm. m- many people have really tried to uh, edward abbey uh desert solitaire uh, but is a very un ungodly kind of solitude that he's right he's good at it i mean he's you know he's he was a forester out in the arches national park and and also uh Gary Snyder, he, he he spent time as a in, in a fire tower, you know, living alone, and that that kind of fascinated me. Um, right now, Fenton Johnson is working on a uh, uh, a book of essays about writers and poets who lived a, a solitary life while they were writing, mm. and um, he should be he should be coming out with that book. We have we've had many conversations. Over that topic, does
1: he have a title for that book?
0: Um, yes, he does. uh, At the center of beauty, I think it is
2: Mm.
0: something like that. It's it's a line from. uh, Yeah, I, I I I hesitate to be too positive about how I remember that.
1: <laughs> um, so if uh, yeah, at
0: the center of all beauty. At the center of all beauty. Um, yeah, the center of all beauty. Mm-hmm. That's a
1: great title. If someone were to begin reading your books, mm. where, which would you point them to first?
0: Oh, well, for most writers, I think the, the new book, uh, uh, In Praise of the Useless Life, is the most accessible mm. but if you like reading poetry um unquiet vigil is really the the uh, compilation of my my previous books plus some you know fresh stuff um i think my best writing is in bells of the hours mm-hmm. even though it's more specifically monastic uh and monks wear is too but um those are the hours I think is got the although my new book I think has, I I'm, I think I'm getting better, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I've gotten to the point now where uh, there seems to be a shift in uh, the focus um, of what I write. It seems to have more to do with ult- ultimate things. Like about death, and you know about transcendent experience, and those things that uh, you know are in my previous books, mm-hmm. but not not so. I I was I hesitate to write about them so explicitly, mm-hmm. and so it was. Uh, um, something that now i I th- sort of gotten to the point where I can feel that I, I can write about these things and not feel so, uh, art that it's so artificial anymore. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know it's very dangerous to write about spiritual experiences and uh, because it comes out like, oh you know, it it doesn't seem like poetry so much, mm. um, and I'm not sure. I, I I just have drafts of things in this little book, but if you want, if you don't mind listening to a draft, oh, please, please, yeah. Breathe in the day. The day grows alive in you. The glow in the east, the chill. The silence are here for you. The silence to the outer reaches of space. Reach into the trove of possibility, ramage and sort. Each possibility is precious, whether it comes true or not. For you are a child of possibility. earth leans towards the east by necessity but by law the sky comes onward in a realm of possibility here the first dove sounds the distant geese that's beautiful
1: that's beautiful thank you it's like a sneak peek, too, right? Because you just wrote that <laughs> recently. <laughs> recently, yeah. yeah. Wow.
0: Uh, it's been revised since then, but not much, actually. Yeah. Mm. I usually revise a lot, but that seems to stand out. What's your is.
1: practice for revising?
0: Well, okay. I, uh, I usually write things longhand first, mm-hmm. and then uh, type it out in mm-hmm. the computer. And then, it, just in the process of typing it out, you might have to. Uh, you know change something but uh the the crucial thing is to read it out loud and then I I can't read this if I can't read it out loud it needs work and then I uh, so I think I've got it pretty good and then I come back and read it again and I say, oh no that's (laughs) that's got to be a better word or that's uh uh, you know so you you find things and the the better i get at writing the more i revise mm. but it's a it's, as i said it's a matter of t- remaining true to the poem you have to be true to the poem mm. uh and make it more of what it is
1: hmm. we'll kind of let it guide you uh huh kind of thing mm. wow any any other Poems you'd
0: like to share before we? Oh, <laughs> well, I don't know. Could it be yours. Could I've be got,
1: Emily.
0: Uh, whoever. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's something that uh, I, I I get these. I take type these things up and then I. Uh, you hold on to them for a
1: while. I
0: hold on to them for a while just in case it would be uh, debt of sleep. And this has been revised since then, too. I must pay my debt to sleep, pay on time, or sleep will rest from me my mind, thrust me into mindless time, imprisoned till the last penny is paid to rest. I must pay my debt to death, Pay on time to me unknown, when at my door, open or closed, death claims mortgage to that dogged bank of mortis. Mm. Unknowing I wake to knowing not where or when reclined right or left, knowing not but refreshing kindness of not knowing fleeting shown, as walls of time and place close in, of difference and same, of death and life, equal or not? But what of death? Is it death or depth of freedom, unconfined by place and time? A treasure of all for all, wherein... Nothing is mine. Mm. Wow. So that's a, that's one of those liminal poems.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm, beautiful. Have you found, do you think your love of poetry, do you think, you know, in the in the rhythm, the rhythm of poetry and the rhythm of monastic life, like, do you think there's any correlation there?
0: Do oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then... Yeah, and of course, you're immersed in the Psalms. That's yeah. poetry, right. and uh, you you get a sense of I mean the the translation we use is the Grail, and the Grail is structured uh, in such a way that there's a, a regular number of major accents in each line, so uh, the the syllables may not be. Um, uh this, the same number, but the accents will be the same number oh okay so that's that gives you kind of sense that's why it's so it's easier to to mm-hmm. re- recite it and sing it mm-hmm. in, in that form
1: mm. That's great well, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me on the hottest day of the year so they say oh, no, it's cool in here <laughs> <laughs> hence the uh slight slight noise in the back it's uh the air conditioning so. Right? That's the air conditioning? It's the air that conditioning. Is, yeah, chugging along. So thank you so much. And, well, you're uh, very welcome. I appreciate all you shared. Uh-huh.
0: Thanks.
1: Thank you for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversations about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, EncounteringSilence.com. You can subscribe to our email list at our website, connect with us on social media, on Twitter at silencepodcast or on Facebook at Encountering Silence. And please visit patreon.com slash encounteringsilence. That's patreo dot com slash encounteringsilence to become a patron of this podcast. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes and spreading the message of how vital silence is to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being.